0: I would submit to you that Genesis is beginning again. You know what the word Genesis means, right? New beginnings. New beginnings. We've always claimed that, but we sure haven't talked about it much because you get going and there's expectations. And you relocate and you move into a big facility like this and you have a grand opening. The room was packed. All the hallways were filled with people. Great lunch afterwards. Pinnacle high. And concurrent with that, concurrent with that was all of our efforts that we put into daycare preschool Those of you that regularly attend here know that, long story short, we were getting licensed, we hired our director, we were, man, we were going to hit that thing. What a great reach to the community and what a wonderful income stream for the church. It's the reason we negotiated for this building, frankly, and what was going to make it possible. And so the fire department came through and found that uh, none of the rooms we were going to use for our daycare preschool had outside egress. Jeff, what's that mean? It means that none of those rooms had a window or a door directly to the outside, okay, which for a daycare preschool, every room has to have either a window or a door directly to the outside, not to a hall that you can scamper down and get to the outside, but to the outside itself. So, long story short, we uh, sent our director to another school that was in great need. She's functioning there. We've kept in touch. In fact, I've asked her if she'd come over and walk through our facility with us, and let's think creatively. Could we still do this? Could we still accomplish it by maybe relocating where the school was going to be and taking advantage of this back half where there are rooms with outside egress and so forth? But needless to say, you know, our worship leaders in March stepped back and stopped leading worship. We brought somebody in. They've been here for the last six months. It was never the design that they be our worship pastor. They were always going to be leaving for Florida, and they left. Last Sunday was their last Sunday. So here we are. That's a lot of change relocate plan to start a school not be able to start a school lose your worship leaders bring in a substitute substitutes also moving on bring in another guy that you all haven't seen for years we hope he's good you know (laughs) so now I, i happen to know that you know or else we just we wouldn't bring him in so we already have established relationship with Drew. But I'd like to tell you this morning that Genesis is in a place of beginning again, not starting over, beginning again. And there's a difference. I got to thinking about my own life and my own need to begin again. I don't know about you, but I've had a number of things in my life where, and opportunities and things that happened circumstantially where I needed to begin again. Some years ago, my wife and I were troubled maritally. It got to a place where I actually filed for divorce. You say, oh, that must have been 20, 30 years ago before you were in the ministry. Actually, no, I was in the ministry. It all started erupting, however, during a time where we had stepped back from ministry and we were living in Tulsa and so forth, living down in Highlands Ranch, six-figure income, living in a great home. Couldn't have been better. And we were going through a rough time, though. Had the home, had the income, had the cars. And the marriage was going upside down. And I filed for divorce. That was one of the darkest hours of my life. Through that, I'm here to tell you, and of course, Nina normally would be sitting right there, my precious wife who's up helping conduct the ladies' conference this weekend. And she'd tell you that during that time, we had to take hands and sit down and talk about it and talk about whether we wanted to stay or whether we wanted to go because we really did believe either could be life-giving but that God's best for us anyway was to stay. But if we were going to stay, we would have to begin again. Many wonderful things about our marriage were still there that we could build on. But if we didn't begin again and take a whole new approach in a lot of areas, it wasn't going to work. We were going to lose it all it was not easy again it was some of the darkest hours of my life but we're here in ministry successfully today and happy in our marriage have repurchased a great home after going bankrupt down in Highlands Ranch through all of that have great credit high scores God's redeemed and restored just everything we have two dogs (laughs) You know how much we love those dogs, and uh, they're just so precious to us, and our, our precious daughter who now is married and living south, attends church, involved in her church, she actually married a gentleman whose family used to come to our church 30 years ago. That family used to babysit my daughter when she was four and five years old. She married one of the boys from that family. I have so much to be thankful for. So much to give God glory for. But I was that far from turning it all upside down and never having again what I'm enjoying today. Had I not been willing to To begin again. No matter what happens in life, you can begin again. That's like a little theme statement that we've written here under the series title. No matter what happens in life, you can begin again. Would you say that with me? No matter what happens in life, you can begin again. Where in your life has it all gone upside down? Marriage? Career? Finances? Your home? Friendships? How about your church? The only thing constant about life that's absolutely 100% that you can absolutely rely on is change. Someone said. And there's a lot of truth in that. So in this series about beginning again, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. How that today, we'll talk about how that God understands. We'll be talking about how to overcome the fear of starting over. How to deal with the terror, being terrified of loss. Often freezes people. Causes them to make a lot of bad decisions during that time. How to be set free from the enabler of complex how to get rid of sticky and accept the reality that there are necessary endings how about this one don't waste your mistakes did you know that even the mistakes in our lives are something that god can turn around and help us begin again and he can redeem and he can make it something That gives him praise, that gives him glory. I've experienced that a number of times in my life, in a number of ways. I've shared one or two with you this morning. Two really big ones, in fact, that a lot of people don't recover from divorce and bankruptcy. I have found God is faithful in every one of our circumstances god is faithful he will bring you through there is a way you can start again so i say to you again that no matter what is happening in your life you can begin again david in the bible began again you remember david the guy who wrote most of the Psalms, the king of Israel, the 17-year-old boy who killed the lion and the bear, who dared to go out and fight Goliath the giant, nine feet tall, with a slingshot and no armor. Remember him? 20 years later, At 37, he's now king of Israel and enjoying all the glory. And he goes out on the veranda of his castle, his home. He's looking at the moonlight and he's enjoying the weather. And he happens to look across through a window and he sees a beautiful woman undressing And taking a bath. Lust. Enters his heart. And consumes him. He goes on to sleep with this woman. And to cover the sin. She obviously had gotten pregnant. She happens to be the wife. Of the premier general. Or premier. He's the general. Premier general of the armies of Israel. Top leader. Directly under the command of David. David has him brought in. Talks to him. Reassigns him to the front lines where he knows his life will be at risk. And indeed, he's killed. As far as God is concerned... David now has not only committed adultery but murder many of you are aware that the Bible speaks of David both in the Old Testament and again in the book of Acts I believe it's chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart So after his adultery, after murdering the husband of the wife who happens to be very close to him, general of his armies, afterwards we fast forward into the New Testament and David is still carrying the glorious label and identification of man after God's own heart really do you know anybody who's committed adultery had the husband killed to cover it all and now carries around it's still in print it's in magazines they carry banners everyone sings his praise he is a great king he is a good father he's a great man but he's being called a man after God's own heart? How's that possible? Similarly, we come forward, fast forward into the New Testament, and we meet a man named Paul. His name before that was Saul, and it got changed after he became a Christian, a Christ follower, a believer. Now, you know, don't you, about this man Saul, that he had become a Pharisee in the religion of the Jews. There was no higher standing, no no higher place of accolade and political and spiritual recognition than to be a Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee. And as this Christian religion started and Christ was buried and purportedly raised from the dead, and his church, this new fledgling church of disciples began to grow and make waves in the city of Jerusalem and surrounding area, Saul, the Pharisee, took it upon himself to hunt Christians down with one of two objectives, either to kill them through stoning or bring them back with him to imprison them where they would meet a similar fate eventually. This was Saul's mission. He gave himself to hunting Christians and having them imprisoned or killed. One day, he's traveling on a road with his band, his military protection. He's going down to a city to hunt some more Christians. He's heard there's a pocket of activity of the Christian faith, believers, Christ followers. He's going down to do more of the same. While riding his horse in this caravan, a bright light, the Bible says, shines out of the heaven and knocks him off his horse and he's laying on the ground, now blind, literally physically blind. And he utters these words. Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus speaks to him. Jesus Who sees something different in a murderer speaks to him, calls him to himself, and from that moment forward, Saul's life is changed. He rides on into the city, he's met prophetically by another Christ follower who prays for his eyesight to be returned, he's healed. And he begins studying the way of Christ the Messiah. And then, as you know, becomes the greatest apostle and writes over two-thirds of the New Testament. Saul, who becomes Paul, who becomes Paul the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who writes the Bible. you and I read. Really? How is that possible? No matter what happens in life, you can begin again. Jesus comes. (laughs) Jesus lays down his life. It certainly looks to his disciples like a failure. Here he conducts these great crusades and he's healing the sick and opening blinded eyes and for three and a half years he heals the masses and he feeds them and he loves them. And then he's taken, given up by one of his own disciples, betrayed, hung on a cross and put in a grave. And they all leave. They all forsake him. But a small handful that keep believing in something they remember him saying during some of his sermons. I will rise again. Wow. Talk about a new beginning. Talk about being the worst of circumstances. I mean, ultimately, dying. Having your body buried in a tomb sealed with a stone by the Roman guard I mean the dream's over right not in God's kingdom no matter what happens in your life it can be turned around you can come back from it God can cause life to be breathed into those circumstances. You can begin again. Jesus had to deal really with three different setbacks during his life and ministry. Number one, Satan. Do you remember what Satan said to him during the temptation? Jesus, if this be so, if you are that, then try this. If God really made you this, what about this? Put it to the test. In other words, identity. Satan called into question Jesus' identity and relationship with the Father. And isn't that exactly what happened to Adam and Eve? Satan came and called into question their identity, lying to them that they didn't have everything that they could have. If they would just eat of the tree. In other words, they were incomplete. They were insufficient. God had made them incomplete. They needed to eat of the tree in order to be like God. That was a lie. Satan presented that same scenario to Jesus. You need to do these things and then you'll truly be powerful. You'll truly be a king of kings. You know, Jesus stood up to that. Secondly, he had to deal with all of the religion of his days or day that spoke to him and said, you're not approved. Who are you? Who do you think you are coming in here and teaching a new way? And so his, his own religion that he had been born into rejected him. So that dealt with approval. So first identity, then approval, and then third people. His own people. People. Some loved him, many hated him. Some praised him, most criticized him. Many decided to follow him. He preached one sermon one time, and the scripture says all of them turned their back and quit following him. I don't feel so bad on some Sundays. (laughs) I mean, this was Jesus. Imagine the sermons that Jesus taught. There could be no wrong, no error, nothing wrong. The power, the presence of God. Jesus, the Son of God, preached a sermon. You'll find it in John's Gospel, chapter 6. Preached one sermon where it says, and they all stopped following him. And he turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go too? Wow. The things that Jesus had to put up with. That deals then with opinions so he had to deal first with the fact that his identity was questioned then he had to deal with people's approval then he had to deal with people's opinions and how many of those on a regular basis have kept you from being all God has called you to be how many of those things daily in our lives press against us and circumstances happen on our job with loved ones in our marriage in our career that question your identity, question whether or not God's really on your side and approves of you, and then, of course, brings up all sorts of opinions and criticisms. Sometimes you can do no right. Jesus experienced all of that. And yet, he gave his life, and like a seed, he went into the ground. I want to give you three reasons as we bring things to a close this morning why you can absolutely trust that God understands your circumstances and that God will bring you through and that you can begin again. Three reasons why you can absolutely know God knows what you're going through. He's been there. And he will make it possible for you to begin again. Number one. God will never give up on you. God will never give up on you. In the Old Testament, there was a man, actually he was an infant at the time that he's first introduced to us, called Mephibosheth. Any of you Bible students? Mo or Mephibosheth. He was an infant being babysat. He was the child of Jonathan. And Jonathan's grandfather was Saul. Both Jonathan and Saul were killed during a war, during a battle, on the same day, in the same battle. The babysitter feared for her life and the life of this young child. So she grabbed him. She grabbed a few belongings and she was fleeing the city and unfortunately dropped the child, Mephibosheth, on his head. And he became crippled. And from that moment on, he never walked again. But he was of the lineage of Jonathan the dear dear friend of david who had made a covenant together with them that jonathan and david would love each other and walk together no matter what jonathan's now dead saul's dead a few uh, years have gone by and david begins to inquire in israel are there any descendants of jonathan or saul because I want to honor them. And he hears about a He has a search conducted, finds him and brings him to the palace, where he honors him, gives him a position among his royal servants. Mephibosheth actually marries and has children. And for the rest of his life, King David completely takes care of him. Why is that important? If you'll remember, Saul, Mephibosheth's grandfather, hunted David to try to end his life. Part of what David had to do to quell that uprising was kill all of the descendants of Saul and put them to death, which he was justified in doing, of course. But then he heard about a little crippled boy, Mephibosheth, and he forgave, and he released it, and he let it go. Now, we asked the question earlier, How could David possibly be called a man after God's own heart? And if you do a little search on that or Google that idea or that question, you will find article after article talking about David's morality, his integrity, how that he wrote the Psalms, how that he was a worshiper, And after reading so much of that, and I had heard that all my life, that that was the explanation for David being a man after God's own heart. And I got to thinking, but God, all of this is so works-based. And here we have a murderer. We have a man who connived to kill his adulteress's husband. And now he's a man after God's own heart. And that's because of integrity and that he worships well and he reads his Bible and he goes to church? Please. (laughs) Could we bring this forward into the life of Christ, the revelation of the incarnation of Jesus and understand that when we read the Old Testament, it must be interpreted Carefully, through the filter and the lens of the incarnation of Christ. So I simply asked the Lord, Lord, why did you forgive David? Why did you continue to exalt him and he lived a long life? Why did you continue to reward him with great riches? And why to this day is he a man after your own heart? And the Lord said, because he was merciful. Remember, son, my mercy is everlasting and never fails. That's how David is a man after God's own heart. Because God is merciful and his mercies never fail. David's not a man after God's own heart in integrity or because he worships well or he reads his Bible. He forgave. He let it go. He let the people who had come against him and tried to bring him down, he he got to a place where he said, Enough! I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to lay in my bed at night sleepless because I'm carrying this. Go find any of the living descendants of Saul. I want to honor them. And he forgave. Are you aware that in the New Testament, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4 that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repent? Number 2 Your past does not define you. Your past does not define you. And you can know without a doubt God understands this. Because John 12:24 I assure you, and most solemnly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, just one grain, never more. But if it dies, it produces much grain, and it yields a harvest. Jesus was speaking prophetically about his destiny. God has the ability to look past my failures to look past my behavior to look past my character flaws to look past my murders to look past my adultery to look past those decisions that I've made that have put me in these circumstances and he chases me in his love and he says son Keep something in mind. My own son had to be like a seed that went into the ground before it could actually produce the reality that you now stand in as a Christ follower in 2018, September 24th, 23rd. Do you realize you sit there this morning because God dared to believe there could be a new beginning. Do you realize you're sitting in that chair listening to me right now? Because Jesus, despite people's disapproval, despite people's opinions, despite the questioning of who he was in his true identity, dared to become and allow his life to be put in the ground like a seed, knowing Believing, holding on to the fact that regardless of what happens to you, you can begin again. We're here because Jesus believed that. So when I tell you today, God understands, he understands. And finally, number three, Everything you release as a seed will bring forth in multiple harvests. Everything you release as a seed will bring forth in multiple harvests. If there's anybody who had a reason to look back on his former life and say, God can't use me, God can't turn this around. It would have been Paul who murdered, hunted, and murdered Christians. Listen to his words. I'll I'll take you there. I'll go back because I, I didn't share the verse earlier, but I want you to see it. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press... To reach the end of the race. Some of you have been telling yourself, the race is over. I question whether I can finish this thing. And in the midst of that question, you're being told you're not good enough. You're not moral enough. You don't read your Bible long enough. You don't pray hard enough. And if you allow that self-talk and that, those self-thoughts to go, they will take root in the garden of your mind, your emotions, and ultimately your will. And Judas wound up hanging himself. No matter what happens to you, you can begin again. God understands your circumstances. And he's there to bring you through. Could we stand?